The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. We have a a panel uh, locally derived and I want to welcome them all uh, John Fanouk and Sinn Féin MP for North Belfast uh, Sorok is Sorsha That's fine <laughs> We were debating what I should call her Sorsha or Sorsha but it's Sorsha uh, uh, Alliance MLA for Lagan Valley and Alison Morris columnist with the Belfast Telegraph commentator specialising in politics and security and a regular guest on the show but the first time we've met Alison Hello, which is very nice to see you. Good, Good to see you in person So my first question is when are we going to have an executive when is Stormont going to resume? Should I put the politicians on the spot first, Alison, before well, getting uh, your analysis? Yeah, well, I was going to say you have the wrong politicians here to be asking, asking that question, as we know it's the DUP. Each of them has a crystal up. ball in yeah. front of them. <laughs> so, uh, John, how is this process evolving? I mean, what are the DUP up to? I heard the former leader of the SDLP on uh, Sean Moncrief's programme yesterday from, from Derry uh, saying that they think there's more juice to be squeezed from this particular lemon, and they'll keep squeezing. Well, I, I don't know about that, but I mean, let, let's set a little bit of context here. Around 18 months ago, the DUP walked away from the north-south bodies that were set up uh, under the Good Friday Agreement. A number of months after that, they walked away from the executive and they left um, the last remaining months of the executive in, in a fairly um, uh, unstable position. And since the election last May, a historic election, they have said by their logic that they would not restore the assembly, the executive, because they wanted to influence the negotiations between the British government and the European Commission. I obviously don't agree with that stance, but let's take them at that log logic. The negotiations are now over. The agreement has been reached. We had an overwhelming vote in Westminster two days ago, which showed quite clearly where the British government's priorities are, and that is now away from this issue. Earlier this morning, uh, the agreement was essentially ratified into international law. So the negotiations are over. Everybody that I talk to in North Belfast and beyond is interested in the cost of living crisis that continues to bite and bite very hard. Our health service, which is in a disastrous state and needs a minister in place to begin to take the steps that are necessary. And importantly as well, which doesn't get raised enough in my opinion, is that in the absence of an executive being formed and being able to meet, there is an inability to form, uh, or sorry, to agree a budget. So what does that mean? It means we are left at the mercy of a Tory government that have shown for the past number of years that they don't care about workers and families and they certainly don't care about people here in this part of Ireland. So it's imperative that we do get an executive back up okay, and running but you're, you're because there's ball. nothing more. Well, you know, I mean, I, is I think it going Alison's, to go beyond the local elections? Is Alison's, that what everyone's saying? Alison's right. It's, you know, I can only answer it to, to a certain stage. Uh, this is a question for the DUP, and it's not just a question for the DUP and their own electorate, it's for every single person in this society that needs investment in education, that needs a health service, have an investment and, and reform into it as well. But we need a functioning executive, and to continue to punish people on the basis that you're trying to influence a negotiation that finished weeks ago is frankly laughable. All right, uh, Sorsha Eastwood, uh, what do you think? I mean, that notion that Mark Durkin said, look, they think there's more juice to be squeezed from the lemon and they'll keep squeezing. I think the DUP have got this wrong um, in, a, in a very corporate sense since 2016. So all the big shots they've called wrong. And ultimately, as Alison and John have already both said, you know, we're in a situation now where actually polling in the last few days shows that even within DUP voter base, there are a significant number of those people who actually want the assembly back. So you've got the UK government saying the deal is done. It's over. We will not be reopening this again. 
get on with it and they're still not doing it. So, I mean, I think people in Northern Ireland are really just looking across the piece, whether they're unionist, nationalist, unaligned like myself. Um, and in terms of obviously there's no unionist representative here, but we would represent some unionists. They're appalled at all of this. They're saying like the Windsor framework, the protocol, they give Northern Ireland a unique opportunity in terms of its economy, in terms of its offer on the world stage. We've just had everybody selling the best of the island of Ireland last week in America, and they want to invest, but without an assembly and without an executive and without that leadership. Um, we're providing leadership along with Sinn Féin, SDLP, Ulster Unionists, all the parties. But the DUP can't be allowed to be in a position where they pull it all down and the rest of us can't get back in. I'm trying to, to get an understanding as to what this is really all about. I mean, we hear on the one hand, they don't want to be deputy first minister to Sinn Féin's first minister. That's just something that they cannot stomach. That's one explanation. Another is that anything that weakens the, the union either symbolically or practically, is something that, that is anathema to them and to their supporters. Um, where do you see it lying, or is it a bit of both? A lot of it's internal. A lot of it's to do with the fact it's a very divided party. There's almost two DUPs. So there is a, a DUP under Geoffrey Donaldson who are devolutionists and who do want to go back to Stormont, but they are stuck at the sort of beholden of those hardliners, the Sammy Wilsons of this world. And the thing that happened this week I thought that was very significant is the DUP were once the kingmakers in Westminster. They had all this power and yet they didn't manage to negotiate a Brexit deal that suited them and suited their support. Well, there were a few missteps along yeah, the way. They really were, and they rely so heavily on the patronage of the ERG who had, you know, who held Boris Johnson was only Prime Minister because of the ERG and the manoeuvres that they pulled to get him there. The ERG didn't go with them during the vote this week. They only managed to bring a handful of people. And among that, Boris, who was actually the person who negotiated the protocol in the first place, Liz Truss, arguably maybe the worst Prime Minister that Britain has ever had, the shortest certainly, um, they didn't bring along their former supporters. People like Steve Baker, you know, the, the, the so-called you know, hard man of Brexit, he's now back in the government 100% in relation to this deal. So their supporters at Westminster are trickling away. That's very important when you look at what way they're going to have to go in the future. But it is a framework. And so when you're talking about squeezing the lemon, the EU are finished, they're done, they've negotiated their way, they want to hear no, nothing more about it, but the framework has to have domestic legislation attached to it, and that's where I think that the DUP thought that they could maybe pull some more in terms of that. The problem is, what have they got in to, to leverage that with? What have they got in order to pressurise the government? All they have at this stage is refusing to go back into Stormont and eventually they'll overplay that hand because we're already hearing increased calls for there to be some sort of renegotiation of our form of government and the DUP could one day find themselves sitting in opposition and their bluff will have been called and they will have you know, a coalition of the willing who will go that on and form a government That divided party that you talk about, Alison, I mean, what fraction would be uh, closer to Geoffrey Donaldson? We mustn't forget that he left the UUP to join the EU, uh, the DUP. Uh, UP, as did Arlene Foster. You know, so those people, their spiritual home, you might think, yeah. is in the UUP. Yeah, he's a, he is a devolutionist, and I'm, I'm convinced that he does want to get the party back over. And the problem is, these people like the Orange Order looking over his shoulder, and they're absolutely terrified of the TUV and Jim Allister as well. So we have a local council. But suppose election. that extreme yeah. uh, TUV decided that they would try to 
win over as many DUP, not alone members, but also representatives. How big would that be? And if you were to isolate it into a bunch, what proportion of unionism would it represent? If you, if you let Jim Allister and the TUV write their own withdrawal agreement, he would still oppose it at the end of it. He just opposes everything. <laughs> the, 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 issue, the issue is is that they know going into local government election, no matter what they agree to, Jim Allister will be against it. And they're afraid that he'll try and steal some of their votes by going, you know, their Lundies have sold out, they've accepted this rubbish deal. So if there is going to be a return to Stormont, it'll not be till after the local government elections. You know, I think the people would have liked to have seen, you know, nice functioning assembly for the 25th anniversary of the yep. Good Friday Agreement. That isn't going to happen, but that doesn't mean you won't see members of the DUP at some of those events, because let's face it, they were, you know, all in Washington last week, shaking hands with the great and good, you know, talking about talking about the peace process and, you know, what a great job has been done. And we have that. to remember so when, that the yeah. DUP were outside of that. They yeah. were outside of the Good Friday they Agreement. They look very comfortable, though, in, in, they in Washington They seem to have taken some week, ownership yeah. uh, <laughs> of it. Um, what sort of a welcome, John, do you think Joe Biden will get from uh, all quarters? Here. Well, I think it's fair to say that we probably wouldn't have had the success of the Good Friday Agreement had it not been for the involvement of America in the lead up to and then the implementation of the Good Friday Agreement. Joe Biden himself, his record on the peace process is very well known and well documented. So I think it's quite fitting that he is the president at the time of the 25th anniversary. I would imagine he would get a very warm welcome if and when he comes to visit here in Belfast. I think it is something whilst we have opened this conversation pointing to the lack of an executive and assembly. The Good Friday Agreement is something to celebrate. Uh, it was the very first time that I voted in my life. I, I was 18 in 1998. I, I obviously have a memory of what life was like before 1998. I'm certainly not saying that life was perfect afterwards, but it completely revolutionised um, so many people's lives. It certainly revolutionised this city. It is a very different city and a very different society that we now live in. And I think that's the beauty of, of the Good Friday Agreement. But it's and, extraordinary, and it, John. Uh, sorry for interrupting you, but we, here we are celebrating and remembering Titanic, uh, which was, if you like, uh, forged in the Harlan Wolf shipyard. Mm. So it's a monument to unionism in a way, isn't it? Because there were, the, or Protestantism, because there were very many Catholic workers uh, who participated in the construction of Titanic. And what I was really getting at is that relic of unionism, it is rooted in the very bricks and mortar we see us in in old industrial Belfast. But it's a different city that we live in now. Um, it's sure. a different society even outside of Belfast. And, and you don't even need to look at election results. You know, last May, um, Michelle O'Neill being returned as, as the first minister designate is, you know, is huge, it's monumental. But I mean, I, I wouldn't want to necessarily dwell on, you know, Harland and Wolf for when the Titanic was built because we could be here for a very long time. No, but you know what, what I mean? Important. What I'm saying no, I know is what you mean, you but see yeah, it as I, you drive I, in. Dublin is not an industrial city per se. Yeah. You come into Belfast and you could be if, uh, you know, if you didn't see the other signs, you could be in a, an industrial city of Northern England. Yeah, but it's, it, I mean, it's a very different city. You know, we're within, we're, we're within a stone's throw of the, of the opening or of the new campus of the Ulster University, which is, which is world class. We have Queen's University. We have different industries that are now setting up home. Again, very close to where this museum is sited, whether that's uh, in fintech and cybersecurity. We have new industries that our universities are supplying world class graduates. I mean, I, I sort of could go on and sell Belfast to you all day, but it's. I mean, my point is that that the Good Friday Agreement has been a catalyst for that investment, mm. for, for that change in our society, mm. and we also have a very unique economic advantage now with okay. dual market access to capitalise and go even further. And all of us can see that, except the DUP, it would appear. Uh, Alison, that, that whole business of what is left of 
hardcore unionism that will never accept anything. And it really is built into the, the fabric of this city. Well, I just want to pick up and go back to some of the discussion there around 1998 and the, the history of Northern Ireland and stuff. Obviously, my constituency is Lycan Valley, and Lycan Valley was of such strategic importance to the foundation of the state of Northern Ireland that it was more or less written into the economic strategy. And you are now dealing with people who are in Lycan Valley who are very much eschewing um, and kind of scorning that very kind of old school mindset. Um, John has set out there very much that the kind of new economic offering that we have, but we are coming at it from a different standpoint where in 1998 I don't think there was ever a recognition that Alliance and who we represent was going to actually come to the, the fulcrum um, or coming close to the fulcrum of where we are now. And because we you don't figure that. in the whole DeHunt calculations at no, the end of the and, day. No, and we need to see that changed and we need to see our vote counting for the same as a unionist or a nationalist and I actually think that that is now the story of 25 years on. Now we need to have a 25 years of building on the peace and prosperity. Would you both, I'm sure you'd both given uh, the way things have panned out for you electorally like to go back to classic politics you know people form coalitions uh, there's an opposition and there's a government and you know yeah. they f rise or fall on their actions. Absolutely and I mean I'm sure I'm sure Sinn Féin would be potentially in the, the running to take for example, the economy ministry going forward, I have a number of private member bills that I would love to run past them in terms of, you know, careers advice for young people, looking at how we actually properly fund apprenticeships, how we actually get people into the likes of Titanic Quarter, how we get young people into jobs. Because you see, if you want to keep the peace and build the peace, the best way is to give our young people hope and a future. And one of the key ways we can do that is through giving them employment and pride in themselves and where they're from and a future. Alison, can I just sorry, can I just make a very quick point before you go to Alison, apologies, Alison. Strangely, whenever the DUP walked out of the executive last February, for me, it provided an insight actually as to how political parties, when they work together, can actually get legislation out the door. Because the amount of really important legislation that went out in those number of months that made a real difference to people's lives. And there's probably no single party that can take credit for that. Mm -hmm. But where you can take credit is that when political parties work together, it can make a difference okay. to people's mm -hmm. lives. That's what they Alison, want to see. I, I think, I mean, we're sitting, I'm looking out the window at the Harlem Wave Crane. If you see a picture of Belfast, that's what they symbolise. But I have never felt any sort of you know affinity with that because coming from a nationalist community, I don't know anyone who ever worked in, in the uh -huh. shipyards. I have no relatives who ever worked in the shipyards. But that inequality in terms of employment that existed, it just doesn't exist now. Am I now, as you know, as a nationalist woman discriminated against? No, I'm not. I'm sitting here with you. These fine people <laughs> clearly I'm a woman of great privilege now in terms of where I came from and Do, where Does I Titanic now. mean anything to you then at all? No, I mean, if you tour yeah. this wonderful experience, would it mean anything? Would you have any visceral sense of this was something that our community, even though the Catholics weren't part of it, yeah. our community gave to the world. No, the only time I've ever been to that museum as a tourist was when my young niece, who's English, she lives in London, came and she wanted to go because she'd watched the film. And that's the only reason I've ever been here. But the rest of the, you know, the fact that I can see what it brings to this city, I love this building. I think it's a beautiful building. I love, we're sitting here, we're looking at it, you know, the lagging and all of that. I'm really proud of where I'm from. But that inequality doesn't exist now. Are my children discriminated against because they're Catholics? No, they are not indeed. You know, we now have, because of the Good Friday Agreement, we have a level playing field. Unfortunately for some unionists, that might feel like they're being discriminated against when in fact it's just equality. And I suppose this was a unionist state built for unionist people just over 100 years ago. That has changed quite dramatically and maybe some people are finding it difficult to catch on to the fact that we're meant to share this city now. It doesn't belong to one tradition anymore. 
Mm-hmm. Well, that's a, a, a salutary note upon which to end. Look, my thanks to you all for popping by. Uh, we've really had a wonderful time here at Titanic uh, Belfast. John Fanuke and Sinn Féin MP for North Belfast, uh, Sorsha Eastwood, uh, Alliance MLA for Lagan Valley, and Alison Morris, columnist with the Belfast Telegraph, a commentator specialising in politics and security. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9 a.m. on News Talk.